The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. If you would, turn to Luke chapter 24 this morning. How many of you have ever had heartburn? First time I had heartburn, I didn't know what it was. I just remember telling mom and daddy, gosh, my throat is burning. And I said, well, that's heartburn. I'd never heard of it. Didn't know what it was, but it was years ago. I'm sure most of you have, at one time or another, uh, had to deal with that condition. It's not pleasant, and it usually hap- happens after we enjoy a, a good meal, a particular food, or maybe too much food in general. Uh, we end up with heartburn. And we're talking uh, still about, uh, guess who's coming to dinner? And we have one more week of this. Next week, we'll finish our series on guess who's coming to dinner, but with all of these dinners we've had, we, we're going to talk about heartburn today, and uh, how many, uh, ha, any home remedies for heartburn, we may all need to hear those. I mean, we have Tums and Rolades and Petsit AC and uh, Maalox and uh, apple cider vinegar, Woo, that'll do something to you, kill or cure, soda water, that's it, Steve, did y'all hear that? If you take a little glass of water and a spoon of Arm & Hammer baking soda, put it in that water and stir it up good and drink it, instant relief. It's gone. Now, you may burp a little bit afterwards, but that's all right. It's better than the heartburn. Pepto-Bismol, they have a crazy commercial. I hate that commercial, you know, of them people dancing around with, uh, where do we come to? Any more home remedies for heartburn? Milk, I don't know if that works. (laughs) Peppermints, they help disguise it too, I think. Uh, Well, today, uh, I'm going to suggest that there's a heartburn that we should desire to have. We find it in Luke chapter 24, a heartburn that we hope is never quenched, but in fact, it it expands this type of heartburn that we're going to talk about in a a heartburn that we shouldn't seek relief from, but we should always be concerned if it ever subsides, that type of heartburn. And we find in Luke chapter 24, and we'll go down to verse 13. It's a little bit long of a passage, but I want to read it. And uh, it starts out there on the road to Emmaus. Now, that same day, uh, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along the way? They stood still, their faces were downcast. And one of them named Cleophas asked him, you must be a visitor, or are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and you don't know the things that have happened in these last days? Of course, they're uh, leaving Jerusalem after the crucifixion of Christ, and even after the resurrection. But uh, they're, they're there. They say, you must be a visitor or something if you don't know what's happened. And in verse 19, Jesus said, what things? <coughs> and they answered about the Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, he was a prophet, a powerful in word indeed before God and all the people. And the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. 
And what is more, it's the third day since all of this has taken place. In addition, some of our women who amazed us, they went out early to the tomb this morning, and they didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who was there that said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as a woman has said, but they didn't see him. Verse 25, he said to them, How foolish are you, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went and stayed with them. And when he was there at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their side. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we walked with him on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, those there with them, assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, and he has appeared to Simon. And the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And so we're talking this morning, this heartburn that we're speaking of uh, was felt on the road to Emmaus as these two men were walking, uh, uh, the kind of some background, this conversation's taking place after the resurrection, the two disciples, Cliffus, and we don't know who the other one is. He's not identified. They're walking to uh, Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem as they walk along, and that's a pretty good walk, you know, seven miles. That's a, that's a pretty good journey, and they're, they're, uh, they're disappointed. They're discouraged. And as they're walking along, their, their face is downcast. They're looking at the ground. But remember this, they were privy to some information and details about the resurrection. In other words, they, they knew some details, and uh, this caused them to have selective memory, this death uh, and burial of Christ. They, they were dwelling on the events of Jesus' death. They were really dwelling on uh, the things that they thought would happen that didn't happen. They rallied together and came with Christ and said, hey, we want to be a part of your movement and we want to follow. And, and they were excited about all the things they had seen. I'm sure as they traveled along, they were running about, hey, what's going to happen next? What are we going to see next? And all of a sudden, their leader's gone. And their leader was Christ, and uh, he's dead, and they, he's dead, and they kind of feel like their mission is over. It's kind of ended, and, and uh, they're there, they're in despair, and they didn't recognize that it was Christ who came and walked with them, and to their defense, uh, they were actually kept from recognizing who he was by God. I think there's a reason for that. I think the reason being, if they had immediately seen that it was Christ, what would they have done? They would have forgotten everything and said, oh, things are going to be the way they were. We're still looking for someone that's going to redeem Israel. So they were kept from recognizing, and we find these men walking along, and God has orchestrated these things for their benefit. Uh, So he comes alongside them. And there's three things I want us to look at this morning. (coughs) And the first is this, and I want you to listen and see what's happening. Discouragement causes these men to live in the past. 
They're discouraged, and because they're discouraged, they begin to live in the past. Discouragement also causes them to question if God cares about them anymore. And that's what discouragement does. And the last thing, the reality of the resurrection can uh, still give excitement to our lives. I mean, it it can still uh, give our hearts, and and, uh, it can defeat discouragement that we feel at times. So the first is this discouragement causes these men to live in the past. When we're caught up in the midst of our heartaches and discouragement, when we're discouraged about something, it's very natural for us to revert to our past. In other words, we, we start to dwell on the things in our past that wasn't a discouragement for us. So we start, uh, we start seeing this in this passage. In the midst of the discussion, what are they talking about? They're talking about Christ. They're talking about, hey, here was our mission. Christ was with us. We were going. He was going to redeem Israel. They're, they're talking about all those things, but they haven't accepted the resurrection And if they do, they're doing it on their own terms. They're really just wanting to to dwell on the crucifixion, on the events that have taken place, and the knowledge of the events that's taken place. But listen to how they described Christ. I mean, this, this man comes along who we know because we have the benefit of Scripture. We know that he's Christ. But they start describing him this way. He was Jesus the Nazarene. He was a prophet. He was mighty in words. He was mighty indeed in his deeds. He was loved by the common people. He was hated by the religious leaders. He was crucified. Notice everything they're talking about is Jesus in the past. They're talking about Jesus when he was popular. They're talking about Jesus when he was fun to follow. They're talking about Christ when, when they had to be looking, what's he going to do next? Who's he going to heal next? How's he going to shame the religious leaders next? I mean, all of those things that were in the past. And, and they were defeated when they, when they were out of their glory days. You know, people sometimes when they're defeated, they're, they're living their glory days. Their, their, fa- their favorite words are this, boy, I remember when, and whatever follows that. And that's exactly what, what these guys are doing. They're, they're just living in the past. And in, in the past, there's, there's discouragement. Now, let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with looking back at the past. There's nothing wrong that was saying, boy, I remember the good old days. I had a guy I work with. He, he always said, I'm not sure the good old days were that good. We were just younger and felt better back then. That may be true. You know, the good old days might not be so good. I'm glad we don't have to uh, get up and hitch a team and drive up here and uh, have that, that to, to do every morning. So, so maybe all the things in the good old days weren't so good. But there's nothing wrong with that. But listen, here's the key. Those who live in the past are discouraged in the, in the presence because they're, they're not focusing on the future at all. You see, the, our hope lives in the future, doesn't it? Now, don't miss that. Those who dwell on the past, they're not focusing on the future at all, and hope lives in the future. No matter what our circumstances, as Christians, ultimately our hope is heaven, so that's in the future. But, but in our everyday lives, there's hope in the future. Whatever our circumstances, whatever we're doing, we'll realize that the past is behind us. It's gone. We can't change it, and we can't dwell on that because we find discouragement there, but realize that there's, there's hope in the future. The saddest death of all is the death of hope. If hope dies, we, we're stranded. So hope lives in the future, and, and I think when we look at these guys and realize they're discouraged, it's because they're living in the past. 
Here's the second thing. Discouragement can cause us to question whether God really cares about it. These, these disciples, they, they're conversing with Christ and they're completely oblivious to the fact that, that they're talking about Christ. They're having this conversation and many of the things they're stating has to do with his resurrection. But, but they're not thinking about that. They're not thinking about the resurrection. They're, they're talking about the, the Messiah. They're talking about Christ. They're talking about the one who came. They're talking about all of these attributes. But, but they, they, they failed to mention what Christ really came for. See, they had kind of forgotten about They wanted to believe that, that the good things mixed in the Scripture are what they wanted to follow, but they, they had kind of didn't want to deal with the sufferings of Christ. Now, think about that statement. How many of us do that? Or how many people in general do that? I mean, they want to focus on the things in the Scripture they like, the things that, oh, man, I love to read this. I love that. But, but when it comes to some of the things that, that just aren't so popular anymore, why we say, well... Those things really don't matter. I think that's what the disciples were doing at this point. They were, they were focusing on those good times with Christ and on those times when they were seeing all these miracles and thousands were being fed and all of these things were happening. When the tough times came, they, they, they forgot to look back at the Scripture. And, and Luke 24, 25, I think this is the proof of that. What did Jesus say to them? He said, How foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. What did Christ say? He said, come on, how, how, slow, of, how slow a learner are you? I, I had some teachers tell me that, I'll admit that. You know, how, how, slow, how slow a learner are you? I mean, what does it take? You had the prophets, you've had all of these things that are spoken, and you're, you're focusing on the things that were popular with you, but, but how slow are you to believe and how foolish are you? They believed the Word of God, but they didn't believe all of the Word of God. They believed Christ would come and He would redeem Israel. But they didn't believe that He was going to have to suffer and He was going to die and He was going to be resurrected. They, they failed to believe these things. And, and so things that, that don't fit in where we think they ought to fit in, a lot of times that discourages us and it causes us to ask, where is God? I, I read this statement, heartbreak happens this way. We think God should do something based on our faulty knowledge of His Word. When He doesn't do it, we get discouraged to think that God has let us down, that He has disappointed us, but the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. The, the disciples were looking for this powerful leader that was going to redeem Israel from the Romans, that was going to move them out, and they were looking not for a sacrificial lamb. He said to them, this is what Christ says, this is Luke 24, 25 through 27. He said to them, how foolish are you, how slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. And in verse 26, he said, did not Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. See, the Lord took the, the disciples back to the Old Testament. Of course, they didn't have the New Testament. They just had the old law or the old covenant, and Christ took them back. We don't know exactly where he took them. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe he took them back to Genesis 3, where he talks about the promised sacrifice that is to come. Maybe he took them back to Isaiah 53, which was the suffering servant or the pierced one of Zechariah 12, 10, the, the message of the covenant found in Malachi 3. We don't know where, where he took them, but it says he took the words of the prophets, he took them back, and he began through these passages explaining 
knowing who he was. And I think this is really interesting because to me, as he began to talk to these disciples, he began to teach them. Isn't it kind of strange that they take up this conversation with a complete stranger? And all of a sudden, this complete stranger to them, he begins to teach them who Christ was, and he's teaching about himself. And I think little by little, they begin to remember the prophecies of old. Little by little, they begin to, their, their heartache begin to wane a little bit. They begin to realize, hey, God's Word did say this. And, you know, I remember that uh, on the Mount of Olives, he was teaching about this. I remember that Sermon on the Mount, and, and Christ dealt with these things. And, and that's why I said earlier, I think they were kept from recognizing Christ because they'd have never learned those things. But see, God took those words through Jesus and the words that he spoke through the prophets and he began to introduce himself again to these apostles, to these disciples, and, and they began to understand. And that moves us to the last point there, from heartache to heartburn. They, they move from that part of heartache from discouragement to that part of a, a burning heart. As night approached, they, they decided that they would uh, pause for the night, that they would stop for the night. It was dangerous to travel during those times at night, and uh, it was difficult to travel, and, and you certainly wouldn't want to travel by yourself. So Christ, I, I, I think sometimes we get a picture of Christ being something that's uh, like a big judge or something, but he acts like he's going on. Did y'all catch that? They're, they stop and, and uh, they're, they're going to they're gonna stop for the night and Christ like just keeps going. And they say, hey, hey, man, won't you come stay with us tonight? Won't you, why don't you sit with us tonight? And, and you know, it's dangerous to go off by yourself. And so, so he, he comes back and here's the interesting part. They invite him to stay, but he plays the part of the host. Did you notice that in Scripture as we read that, that, that he kind of took on that, that ideal of the host? It says, whatever Scripture it is there, it says he sat down and he broke the bread and he, he gave it to them. How they recognized him, we don't know, but, but as they began to sit down, as they be, the beginning of the meal, maybe they recognized something from the Last Supper that was just a few days ago. Maybe he said a few words there as he broke the bread that, that just triggered something in their mind that they said, you know what, this is Christ. What, whatever happened, however their minds were open, all of a sudden they recognized that it's Christ. Maybe there were scars in his hands or the, the, the pierced side, maybe it was scars in his feet, but, but God opened their eyes. And they recognized that this is Christ as he broke the bread. And, and I was reminded of that time when he said, this was my body that was broken for you. Maybe he made that statement and they remembered that last supper where he said, this is my body that was broken for you. And as he, as he presented it to the disciples, their heart began to burn within them. They began to have this desire and our heartaches reinstall that burning desire for evangelism. And that's what it says in Luke 24, 32. They ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and as he opened the scriptures to us? You know what we call that? We call that revival. That when our, when our hearts are burning for Christ, when all of a sudden the scriptures are opened up to us and, and all of a sudden God is revealing himself to us in a new, mighty, powerful way and, and our hearts are revived. 
You remember what it was like when you first got saved? I mean, when you first accepted Christ, that, that we were, you were giving it all to Christ. You know, you were excited about those things, and, and that's what the disciples were. They, they were following Christ. They were excited about it. This, this guy named Mark Buchanan, he describes, that, he describes what we're talking about this way. He said, I hit the ground running. He's talking about when he was saved. Immediately, I volunteered for anything, everything that I felt any kind of interest in, and even marginally qualified for. I led the youth group. I helped with the music. I taught Sunday school. I wrote the church letter. I became a counselor. I served as a mentor to several young men. But something, somewhere along the way, went awry. The zeal fizzled. The fire in my bones became only an ache in my joints. My running became plodding. My lightness became heaviness. My joyfulness became jadedness. I joined the ranks of the murmurers and the fault finders, those who didn't like the music or the sermon or the color of the azaleas behind the church, and I found their number to be enormous. You know, that's what happens when, we're, when, we, when we become discouraged, when our, when our heartburn, heartburn turns to heartbreak, we, we lose that zeal. All of a sudden, we forget what it's all about. It's all about God. And, and when we lose that, it's about pleasing God. It, it, it becomes about us. We lose focus on, on what God's plan is for us, and we begin to focus on ourselves. And, and the disciples, they were discouraged because what were they talking about? They were saying, our dreams. This was my dream. This was my vision. This is what I thought Christ was going to do. This is where I thought Christ was going to lead me. This is, this is where my future was for me. And, and Christ had other plans. And, and when they refocused and when they talked to Christ and when he re, re-energized them and their hearts began to burn and they began to understand God's scripture and they were revived, it says in verse 33 through 35, they got up and returned to Jerusalem at once. What were they fixing to do? They were fixing to camp out for the night, weren't they? Because it's dangerous. It's dangerous traveling. There's obstacles there. There's robbers there. They're out at night. But man, when they got on fire, they jumped up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, those with them, assembled there together in verse 34, saying, It is true, the Lord is risen. He's appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them as he broke bread. And Jesus had replaced their heartache with, with heartburn, and he wants to do that for us today. And this is where I want to close. There's, there's three things I want us to think about as Christ wants to replace our heartache with heartburn for him. The first is this. Jesus wants our hearts to burn with the desire to tell others about Christ. That's what the disciples did. Those apostles, didn't they? They had a desire, and they ran in the darkness back to tell it that it's true. Christ is risen. We celebrated Christ's resurrection a couple of weeks ago, and, and we, we should run from this planet saying, It's true. Christ is risen. And I, I want to tell you what Christ has done. Mark 5, 19, he, Jesus healed a man, and, and the man said, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. And Jesus said, him, said to him, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
when the, real, when, the, when, the, when the reality of the resurrection hit these men, they said, you know what? We can't do anything but help tell others. That's all we can do. We, we've just got to spread the gospel. We've got to spread the good news. As Christians, we're to set the example. We're not to be the exception. Did you hear that? We're to set the example. We're not to be the exception. And, and for people to see our faith, there's got to be some action behind it. Remember Abraham? I'm not going to go into the story of Abraham, but he had some action behind his faith, didn't he? He, he was going to sacrifice his son Isaac. So our faith is, and, and, and our hearts burn with desire, and it's God's desire that we would tell others about Christ. Now, this morning, I think that's probably unpopular. We hear that. Sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other. What would Christ say? How slow are we to believe and how slow are we to understand? That's God's desire for us when our hearts are burning that we would tell others about Christ. Here's the second thing. He wants us to, to first burn with desire. Second, he wants our hearts to burn with devotion. Look in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Now, this is after Peter had denied Christ. Christ went and found him, and he's, he's back fishing again. He's back on the, the shore of the sea, and Christ goes. He seeks him out. I think that is a great testimony, isn't it? To realize that there's Simon Peter, the one that denied Christ three times, the one that, that in the midst of the crowd during Christ's crucifixion, the Bible says he looked and he, he saw into Peter's eyes face to face. And it says Peter went out and wept bitterly. But we find Jesus seeking out Peter and saying, Do you love me? And then Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, in verse 16, Son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. In verse 17, a third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know what Jesus was doing? He was making sure that Peter's commitment was to him, was to Christ alone. He wanted to make sure that Peter's devotion was, was to Christ alone. And, and you know, if our devotion is to the church and not to God, it's called idolatry. If our devotion is to, to anything other than Christ, and it's called idolatry. It's interesting that, that Christ didn't say, Peter, do you love the church? Peter, do you love your fellow man? Peter, do you love discipleship? Do you love telling others? Christ said, Peter, do you truly love me? Anything that we're devoted to more than Christ, the Bible says it becomes an idol. And, and Christ desires that our hearts would burn with devotion to him. Here's the last thing, number three. Our hearts should burn with determination. I thought about a couple people that were determined to follow Christ. Y'all remember Daniel? Daniel's, in, Daniel's before the king, and the king said, Hey, everybody's going to bow down and worship me at this certain time. And, and Daniel didn't. And, of course, those other 
uh, rulers there, they came and told the king, hey, Daniel didn't, didn't bow down. He must not have heard me. I'm going to give him another chance. Daniel didn't bow. It says in Daniel 1.8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief priest for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel was determined. He was sold out with Christ. He had a desire. He was devoted to Christ, and he was determined not to bow. You know how he was rewarded for that? He was thrown in the lion's den. That was his reward for not bowing down. He was rewarded by being thrown into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the same story about Daniel. They, how were they rewarded for not bowing? They were thrown into a fiery furnace. But you know what? In all of them cases, Christ delivered them because they were determined to follow Christ. Peter was determined. 1 Corinthians 2, 2 says, For I am resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was Paul's determination. He said, In all that I do, I'm resolved to know nothing else except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? My hope for you today and my hope for myself today is that I'll leave this church with a bad case of heartburn. Heartburn that can't be quenched by anything known to man. I pray that our hearts would burn just like these disciples' hearts burned when they talked about God, when they heard the prophet's words, when they saw Christ saying, this is my body that was broken for you. Their hearts burned with desire, with devotion, with determination. In that, we find fulfillment. We think about who's coming to dinner. We think about all those meals with Christ. We think about the disciples. They, their mind must have reflected back on all of those times. I'm sure there was laughter, and there was times of, of joy and times of tears, and there was difficult times. There was glorious times. There, all of those things that, that they remembered, they remembered the resurrection, and they sat with Christ, and their hearts were filled with joy, and they ran to tell others. We've seen this Lord, we've seen the Messiah, we've seen the Christ, and He is risen. Father, I pray today as we sit in Your presence, and Lord, sometimes it becomes more about us, and we, uh, speaking to myself, Lord, sometimes I focus on the wrong things, and Lord, I pray that we would know it's all about You. Our, our worship service is all about You. Our songs are to be all about You our teachings to be all about you, our ministries to be all about you. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be discouraged by looking in the past and living in the past, but, Father, we would look to our only hope, which lives in the future. Father, I pray that we'd just be uh, uh, resolved in our mind to say, you know what, I'm going to serve you wherever you've planted me, in the place I work, in my school, I I want to be the example, not the exception. Father, I I want to turn my eyes and my heart towards you. Lord, I want to be revived, and I want my heart to burn for you. Father, I pray that we as a church would just 
allow your spirit to fill us. Allow your spirit to lead us, to guide us and direct us. And Lord, set our hearts on fire. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name.